Well, hey, Two Cities Church, happy Father's Day weekend. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities Church. And today, I'm actually bringing to a close our No Other Gospel series. And, you know, we're excited to be able to move on, but also sad because we think that Galatians is honestly just an incredible gift that God has given the church. And I have loved walking through this book together with you guys. We've seen incredible truths like the one and only gospel, that Christ has set us free from the curse of law, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. But today, we're gonna be closing it out with something that we're offshooting, actually, from what we see in chapter five. At the end of that chapter, we talked about what it looks like to bear fruit, bear spiritual fruit. And a topic that is closely aligned with that is spiritual gifts. And there's a lot in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, when it comes to spiritual gifts. In fact, many churches dedicate entire weeks and a whole sermon series to walking through the gifts of the Spirit. But today, I've been tasked with covering all of that in the course of 35 minutes. So, pray for me. If you have your Bible with you, you guys can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And right in verse 1, we're going to see one of the main reasons that we believe it's important for us to have this sermon, to talk about spiritual gifts today. And so as you open up to verse 1, you're going to see the Apostle Paul say this to the church in Corinth. He says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. One of the reasons that we're talking about spiritual gifts today is because we, like the Corinthian church, tend to be uninformed. And so a a recent study that was done by the Barna Group found that 29% of Christian adults and 40% of Gen Xers had never even heard of spiritual gifts. And then they also found that 69% of Christians, even though they've heard of spiritual gifts, don't know what their spiritual gifts are. And so this is an important topic to us because we as a church just generally tend to be uninformed. And so that's why Paul wrote this chapter. He talks about what the spiritual gifts are, how we can recognize them, what some of them uh, look like, and why the church is made up of all different kinds and why that's so important. And so he wants us to be un, not to be uninformed. We want to be a church that is informed when it comes to the spiritual gifts. But there's another reason why we're having this conversation, because many of you, like me, have been around the church for a long time. And when this topic of spiritual gifts comes up, it can be maybe a little uncomfortable for people because there's a lot of questions that surround this. Questions about whether all of the spiritual gifts remain today or whether there was some that were limited just to the time of the apostles. There's questions about what the roles of the spiritual gifts are as we come together and worship as a church today. And so as we have these kinds of questions, we want to recognize that as a church, that there are primary theological beliefs and secondary theological beliefs. Primary theological beliefs are the things that the whole church, no matter who you are, we have to be in agreement upon because they're so very clear in scripture. Things like God's Bible, the scripture, is God's word to us. Things like Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those are primary theological beliefs. But there are things in the Bible that may not be as clear, and those are secondary theological beliefs. Things like 
Does the rapture come before or after the millennium? How many times are we supposed to take communion together as a believing body of believers? What are the role of spiritual gifts? Those are all secondary things that there might be some questions about, and it's not entirely clear. But what we know is that God has made a way, and he believes that even though there might be disagreements on secondary theological beliefs, that we can all have unity in spite of that. I recently had some friends that got married. One was a Duke fan and one was a UNC fan. And some of you might ask, how is that possible (laughs) that a Duke fan and a UNC fan can get married to each other? Well, you know what? It's something that's secondary. That's not what their marriage is based off of. That's not the foundation. There are things that run so much deeper than that. And it's true for the church. The foundation that we have our unity based on is Jesus Christ and him alone. And so that whenever we come and we encounter people in our church or in community group that might have differences in beliefs and secondary theological things, the disposition that we're supposed to have as Christians is to extend grace to those people. And so that's what God's calling us to do is to Seek for unity, extend grace where we might, man, have different beliefs. But we're not going to be able to answer every question here in this sermon today. What we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to focus on a few specific things. But if you have questions, we would say there are great resources that we encourage you to check out. Here are two that we highly suggest on both sides of the issue. One is by a book uh, by Tom Schreiner. It's called Spiritual Gifts. And the other is a book by Sam Storms. It's called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. Both of them are excellent resources. We encourage you to check those out. This is also a great conversation that you can have in the context of your community group as well. And so even though some things may not be clear with spiritual gifts, there are some things that are crystal clear. And those are the things that we want to talk about here in today's sermon. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, I believe there's four main takeaways that the Apostle Paul wants us as the church to walk away with. And I'm just going to give those to you all right now up front. The first main idea that Paul wants us to understand, we see this in verse 1 through 3, is that we all have the Spirit. Number 2, in verses 4 to 7, we see that we all have the Spirit in diverse ways. In verses 8 through 11, we can see that we all can discover our unique gift sets. In verse 12 onward, the last thing we see is that we must all guard against misunderstanding. So let's dive into this first big takeaway that the Apostle Paul has for us. Number one, we all have the Spirit. And by we all, I mean the church. The church all has the Spirit. Look with me in verse 3. It says this, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, that might seem a little confusing on the surface, but what Paul is saying is this. Just because you say the words, Jesus is Lord, that does not make you a Christian. And unfortunately, man, a lot of people believe that. There's a, that's a reason a lot of people exist in our world, in this country, that believe that they're Christians, but they're not. They believe that they are because they said a prayer one time, or they got an invitation and walked down the aisle. Maybe they believe that because they know all the right answers in the Bible stories, but just because you can functionally say Jesus is Lord does not make that true for you. What Paul is saying is that we cannot long for that to be true. We can't desire for that to be true, for Jesus to be Lord, to Jesus to be the center of our lives, for Jesus to be what all of our life is about, unless the Holy Spirit is producing that in your heart. 
And so if you can say that that is true, that that is your deepest desire in life, you can be comforted and know that you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, here's the beautiful thing. God has given you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and living in you. And that is a truth that is both empowering and humbling at the same time. Here's how it's empowering for us. Many of you may be Christians and you've never heard that the Spirit is dwelling inside of you, shaping you, molding you, empowering you. When you understand that for the first time, that changes the way you live your life for Christ. It emboldens you to live on mission, to fight against sin, to turn away from idols and worship God. It's an emboldening thing for people. Maybe you're like me, and there's been times in your life when you know the truth that you have the Holy Spirit in your life, but you just struggle to believe that because you don't feel that. I don't know if you're there right now. There's been times in my life when I feel that, but a truth that I took from Tim Keller many years ago, he said this, that's been really powerful for me, is that when there is a Man, there seems to be an absence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you can sense that and feel that, that actually is an indication that the Spirit is presence. A sense of his absence is actually a sense of his uh, presence in your life. Because you can't manufacture that on your own. If you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you wished and desired for the Holy Spirit to be more active and working in your life, you can't do that in your own earthly flesh. The only way that those desires can be there is if the Spirit is working in you and moving in you. And so that should be empowering for us to be able to understand. And so this is a truth that empowers but also humbles us because none of us is better than the other person. The same Spirit that is in the newly converted meth addict is the same Spirit that was in Billy Graham. All of us have access to the same Spirit. And so there is no JV Christians and varsity Christians. We all are the same, and that's a humbling thing that God does for us. But as we come to understand that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, it also brings responsibility for us as believers too in the way that we relate to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about ways that we need to guard against when it comes to the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, things that we can often do as believers. Here are three wrong responses to the Holy Spirit that you you need to be guarding yourself against. Number one, God tells us don't resist the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts 7 that people can resist the Holy Spirit in your life. And what that looks like to resist is you fight the will of God in favor of your own. And so God is saying, hey, you have to guard yourself against doing that. We can also grieve the Holy Spirit. We see that in Ephesians 4. Grieving the Spirit means that even though we know something is sinful, We openly live rebelliously in that sin, and that grieves the Holy Spirit, and so we need to guard ourselves against that. And we can also quench the Spirit. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, the call to not quench the Spirit. And what that means is that when God is stirring up something inside of you, there's times when we try to press that down, when we try to suppress those things that we feel him calling us to. And God is saying, Christians, Because you have the Holy Spirit, you have to be careful that you are not resisting and grieving and quenching him. What we need to be doing instead is we need to be sensitive to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. And whatever he's calling us to, we need to make sure that we are following him. And so it's the good news that we have that Christians, the church, have the Holy Spirit. But maybe you're listening or watching today and you're an unbeliever. You do not have the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible's clear, unbelievers do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but here's the good news. That doesn't mean that just because he's not in your life doesn't mean he's not working on you. 
The Holy Spirit works in the lives of unbelievers as well. That's the only way that you can come to faith in Christ. And so if you hear God speaking to you, if you feel him moving you or stirring something up inside of you, don't resist, don't quench, don't do any of those things because God is trying to do an amazing work in your life. And so that's the call for us that Paul has for us here. And so we all as the church have the Holy Spirit. But the second main idea he wants us to understand is that we all have the Spirit in diverse ways. Read with me in verse four. It says this. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And these verses are packed when it comes to telling us more about spiritual gifts. And so I just want to use these verses to answer some of the most common questions that people have with spiritual gifts. Number one, what is a spiritual gift? As we look at these, verse, these verses, we have different synonyms that help us understand. We see things like gifts, services, activities, empowering and they all help us understand what a spiritual gift is. And the definition I want to give you, I have from Tim Keller. I found it to be very helpful. He defines spiritual gifts in this way. He says, by the power of God, and that's a gift, we have the ability, that's an empowering, to meet needs. That's a service for the common good. So again, by the power of God, we have the ability to meet needs for the common good. That's what spiritual gifts are. Well, who gets these spiritual gifts? Well, as we see in verse seven, it says this, to each is given. And so every believer receives spiritual gifts. It's not just pastors and super saints that get them. It's everyone. It's men and women, young and old, mature and immature, people of every vocation, pastors, uh, physicians, plumbers, and homemakers all get spiritual gifts. If you are a believer, you have gifts from God. Well, how are these gifts given to us? One of the best ways to understand that, I just want to give you a few categories of what it looks like to receive these gifts, what they might look like. They are given to us in different clusters. Not every believer just gets one gift. That's a common misperception. But what we see in scripture is that people most likely get multiple gifts. They get gift sets Example of this we see in Ephesians 4. Um, scholars say we see a combination gift of pastor and teacher. And so we get different sets of gifts. And so we need to look for our different clusters. Spiritual gifts are also given to us for different recipients. And here's one of the most important things that we have to understand when it comes to spiritual gifts. When we are given these spiritual gifts, they are not for our good and for our benefit. God gives them to us so that we can use them for the good of people around us. We're giving gifts so that we can not just serve ourselves, but we serve the people around us. And as we think about that, God has uniquely gifted us to be able to meet the needs of different kinds of people. Take two people who have the same gift of teaching. One of them might be equipped to be able to teach adults, while the other might be gifted to and equipped to reach the needs of children. And so you can take a look at two ordained ministers like John Piper and Mr. Rogers. This past week, I sat down with some of my girls, Karis and Afton, and we watched John Piper. And guess what? They didn't care what he had to say because he has a gift of teaching that specifically reaches adults. Spoke to me, but not my two girls. But I put on Mr. Rogers and they were glued because Mr. Rogers has a gift that is meant to reach children. And so God gives us gifts that reach different kinds of recipients. 
God also gives us gifts in different measures. Now, all of us probably know this to be true. Some people just seem to have more of a gift than we do. I remember being in college, and I'd been a Christian since I was eight years old. A friend of mine was a recent convert, and we shared a similar gift, but he just seemed to be even more empowered in that gift than I did. And we can get discouraged by that when we see people who seem to be more gifted than us in different ways, but we can be encouraged because we know that God has given us exactly what we need for whatever he's calling us to. And so we have gifts in different measures, but we're also given gifts for different environments. And we experience our gifts in different environments. Our settings are either going to stimulate or suppress our spiritual gifts. Here's what I mean by that. Imagine a monk is given the gift of evangelism. Well, imagine he spends all of his time at the monastery, and if he's just around other believing monks, his gift of evangelism is probably going to be stifled in that environment. But imagine a a new recent convert in college who's surrounded by friends and dorm mates and classmates, many of whom are lost. That gift of evangelism in that recent convert is going to be stirred up because of the environment that he is in. And so when you look at all those things together, that we have different clusters, that we have different recipients and measures and different environments that we live these gifts out in, you start to see that each and every single one of us is incredibly unique in our giftedness. We are like a thumbprint. We're unique in nature. We're like snowflakes. And I know it's not a compliment anymore to be compared to a snowflake, but each and every single one of you is incredibly unique and incredibly valuable. So Two Cities Church, receive this today. You are all a bunch of snowflakes, all right? And so that's verse two. We are all gifted. We have the spirit in diverse ways. But the third main idea that Paul wants us to understand is that we can discover we all can discover our unique gift sets. And that's good news for some of us because many of us know that we exist, but we don't know what they are for us. We can have hope that we can discover what these things are. In order to do that, we have to go to the Bible because we can't just decide or make up whatever we think our gifts is. Uh, gifts are. People are very good at that. Uh, In the same study that was done by Barna, they found that people are very good at at making up their gift sets. Um, Here's some of the ones that people said were their gifts. They said that they had the gift of love and kindness, relationships and listening. And those are all really good things. But the problem with that is they're not biblical. Um, Some people say that they have the spiritual gift of singing. Y'all know who some of those people are and you wish that some of those people would give their gift back, right? And then you've got people who have said, Pastor Kyle has the spiritual gift of being obnoxiously loud, right? We can't just decide what we want our spiritual gifts to be, so we have to go to the Bible and see what God has to say. There's three main places that you can look for what many of these spiritual gifts are. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, where we're at today. You can look at Romans 12, and you can look at Ephesians 4. And here's what, Ephesians, uh, here's what 1 Corinthians say. All these different lists share similar ones, and then they have some differences, but 1 Corinthians 12 says this. There's wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, apostleship, helps, and administration. And then some of the other ones that we see in places like Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, you have serving, encouragement, generosity, leadership, mercy, evangelism, and shepherding. And as you look at those lists, I know they're long. It can seem overwhelming. You might ask, well, how can I ever discover which ones are mine? And so many people, they'll say, hey, how about you start with a spiritual gifts test? 
And that's a good place to start. We actually have one on our resource page at Two Cities Church. People have found it very helpful. But we would say that's a good place to start. But I want to give you four basic principles that you can use today to help you discover what your gift sets might be. The first thing that you can do is this. Identify your clusters. Identify your clusters. And a lot of people who are much smarter than I am have looked at these lists and say, hey, really, they can be broken down into three distinct categories or sets of gifts. There are prophetic gifts, there are priestly gifts, and there are kingly gifts. And I want to tell you a little bit more about each of those different clusters. And so the prophetic gifts, people with prophetic gifts tend to be people who are bold. They are very good at developing and equipping people. They're often very good at communication. They're strong in knowledge, evangelism, teaching, and giving vision. And people with these gifts are often good at reaching people's heads. And then you take a look at the priestly gifts. People with these kinds of gifts can often be marked by sympathy, encouragement, service, and can be very good at doing things behind the scenes. They're good at caring for people and meeting needs in the context of relationships. They're good at helping, shepherding, and showing mercy to others. People with these gifts are often good at reaching people's hearts. And then there's the kingly gifts. People with these gifts are often incredibly down-to-earth and practical. They're good at leading on mission, providing wisdom and discernment, leadership, administration, organization, and they're just good at getting things done. And the people with these gifts are often good at reaching people's hands. And all three of these gift sets are incredibly important and valuable to the church. They deeply minister to the people of the church. You, if you have this gift set, you're gonna minister the church in big ways and you receive from people who have different ones as well. You know, it's been said that the three original staff people, Kyle, David, and myself, each uniquely have one of these gift sets. Kyle is the prophetic gifts. David is the kingly gifts. I have the priestly gifts. And what we've seen is that we can use our gifts very well interchangeably and working with one another. That's what's helped bring a lot of the balance that we love and enjoy here at Two Cities Churches because we are all bringing our unique gift sets together with one another. And so we identify our clusters. You can also identify your affinities. Something that would be helpful is identifying your affinities. And affinities are things that you are just passionate about. And so what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about helping broken and needy people? Are you passionate about reaching the lost? Are you passionate about when you see God doing something in someone's life, going to them and encouraging them? When you look at your passions, what do they tell you possibly about your giftedness? Another thing you can do, you you can identify your affinities, but you also identify your abilities. Your abilities are just what are you naturally good at? And here's just a personal example. You can, the best way you can do this is as you live out God's general commands, you're going to start to see the ways that you are specifically gifted. As you live out all the things that God has called you to do, you're going to see some things rise up that you are just naturally better at. In high school, you know, I just plugged into my church in different ministries. And what I found was that I saw certain things rise up. I remember there was one day I was leading my FCA Um, in a science classroom and I was teaching people from the Bible and I was telling them about points of theology and I found myself thinking, man, I really love teaching God's word to people. And then I got to college and I started leading small groups for young believers and older believers and just teaching them how to read God's word and apply those things to their life. And what I saw was that those small groups eventually became larger groups. And so I saw that I had a a gift for teaching and for leading other people. God never came to me and said, Caleb, thou hast the gifts of leading and teaching. 
go. No, you know, it, it came through just obeying God's general commands and the things that I was better at just cropped up. I mean, when we have those things, we have to see, do your abilities match up with your affinities? Do you see results for the things that you're passionate about? Do you have a passion for teaching? Are people actually learning from you whenever you talk to them? Do you have a passion for evangelism? Are people actually coming to Christ when you interact with them? Some of you have a passion for leading, but no one is following you. Some of you think you have a gift and a passion for encouragement, but every time you talk to someone, they end up feeling worse from talking to you. And so our affinities and our abilities have to line up with one another. But here's the truth. Sometimes we can't see what those things are in our lives, and we need help from other people, which is why the fourth thing that you really need to do is get affirmation from other people. Get affirmation from other people. Affirmation is when people tell you, here are the ways that I specifically see God using you in other people's lives. And so here's a great practice. Go and ask some of the people that are around you what they think you might be gifted at. Ask a spouse or a roommate or a classmate or a friend. This is actually a great question to ask with your community group. Take a night just to say, here's the ways that we see each other being gifted at. And the general principle is the people that know you better are gonna give you more helpful answers. And so go and ask people what they think. But here's also something that you can do to serve the people around you. When you see God using people in specific ways, go to them and tell them what you see. Tell them. That's one of the ways the church can help one another is to go and tell people the ways that we think that they are gifted. That is a valuable thing that we have. And so when we see our affinities, our abilities, and affirmations converging with one another, where we see those things connecting, that might be a good, man, picture of what you might be spiritually gifted in. It's not a perfect way, but it's a very helpful way to get an understanding of what ways God might have gifted you in. And that brings us to the last point that Paul wants us to understand, and this is a very important thing. As the church, we all must guard against misunderstanding. Like I said at the beginning of our time, when it comes to spiritual gifts, unfortunately, there can be a lot of misunderstanding that creeps in when we talk about these things. And so there are three misunderstandings that I think God really wants us to guard against as the church when it comes to spiritual gifts. Number one is this. Church, don't confuse natural talents with spiritual gifts. Don't confuse natural talents with spiritual gifts. And that might be confusing based on what I just said. Now, typically, spiritual gifts are going to align with what you are naturally good at, but that's not always the case. The best example that I saw of this came from a theologian named J.I. Packer when he's talking about um, two different pastors. One of them was Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the most famous preachers that there ever was. And J.I. Packer said, if Spurgeon never became a Christian and a minister, he is convinced that he would have gone on to become the prime minister of England because he was so incredibly eloquent. Now, Spurgeon is an example of someone who has a natural talent that the spiritual gift came and settled right on top of that. But across the pond in America, there's another pastor by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was not eloquent. He is awkward and struggled with speaking to people. And so preaching was not a natural talent for him. But what we see is that where natural talent was lacking, the Holy Spirit comes in and empowered him to become one of the greatest preachers of his day. And so just because you don't have a natural talent in something, you cannot discount the Holy Spirit and say, well, I can't be empowered for that. And just because you have a natural talent in something, don't assume that that is necessarily your spiritual gift. 
there's a balance that has to be weighed as we try to figure out what these things are that God has powered us for. And so don't confuse natural talents with spiritual gifts. Here's the, me- the second misunderstanding that we have to guard against. Don't confuse spiritual gifts and spiritual roles. Don't confuse your spiritual gifts with your spiritual roles. As you look down the list of spiritual gifts that you have, you're gonna see things like teaching, evangelism, encouragement, generosity. And yes, those are all gifts, but you also see in scripture that those are things that all Christians are called to do no matter what. Peter Wagner is a theologian. He said, if Christians as the church, if we don't understand the role between our spiritual gifts and our roles, we're gonna fall into one of two very dangerous mistakes. Those mistakes are either gift projection or gift cop-out. I wanna explain what both of those are. Gift projection is this. It's when we compare and contrast ourselves to other people in the church based on our gifts. One of the things that we can do is we can take other people's gifts and we can project those gifts onto ourselves. We see Paul say in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. You see, what happens is that oftentimes we as Christians can look at other people's giftedness And when we see ourselves not matching up with that, we can feel like we're broken or we're we're not a part of the body in the way that we're supposed to be. But that is wrong because what God is telling us is, hey, you might not look like that, but I have gifted you in another way. They're a completely different part of the body. When you are this, you are just as important. You just look different. And so you can't project other people's gifts onto yourself because that's not how I see you. And so we can't project other people's gifts onto ourselves, but equally as dangerous, we cannot project our own gifts onto other people. We see this in verse 21 when Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, when we project our gifts onto other people, we think that they are broken. We think that they don't have a part in the body because they don't look like us. But we have to remember, You are gifted differently than other people. Just because they don't share your same gift does not mean that they are not uh, valued and equal in dignity, value, and worth. All of us, no matter what our gifts are, no matter how different we might be, are a part of the body, and all of us are valuable. And so gift projection is a dangerous thing that we have to guard ourselves against. But there's also gift cop-out. Here's what gift cop-out is. Maybe you already know what your spiritual gifts are, and you hear these things, and you look at this list, and it's like, hey, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to worry about witnessing to people. Or maybe you say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy, so I don't need to worry about taking care of hurting people. Or maybe gifting's not my, my gift, so I don't have to worry about discipling this person that God's placed in my life. We have to understand that there's a distinction between flourishing and functioning. All of us as Christians are called into these same roles. Some of us are going to flourish in those roles while others of us are going to have to learn how to function because we step into this role and some of us have giftings in that way and we're gonna see ourselves flourishing. Maybe we have to step into these roles without these gifts. We're gonna have to just learn how to function because we are all called as Christians to live out these roles with one another. And so we cannot have the, the problem of either gift projection or gift cop-out. Those are great dangers to the church. 
But here's the last misunderstanding that we have to really guard ourselves against. And if you have not listened to anything else this sermon, please stop and listen now because this is one of the most important things you can take away today. Do not confuse spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. Do not confuse your spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. The reason that Paul wrote chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is because the Corinthian church made this mistake. The mistake that the Corinthian church was, they made was that they assumed and they came to believe that spiritual gifts were the pinnacle of the faith. They were the most important thing that they could do. But there's a reason that 1 Corinthians 12, a chapter about spiritual gifts, is followed by 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter about spiritual fruit. Because what Paul is telling them and what he's telling us is you can have all these gifts, but if you do not have fruit, the spiritual fruit to back it up, then you're nothing. Listen to me, you may be the most gifted person that's ever lived. You may have all the spiritual gifts in your life, but if you do not have spiritual fruit to go along with it, what you need to hear is that it's worthless. You are nothing. Because spiritual gifts are just things that we do, but spiritual fruit is who we are. And one of the greatest dangers that we face is that spiritual gifts often masquerade as spiritual fruit. And the more active you are in the church, the more in danger you are because you're gonna be tempted to look at your gifts and your service and your activities as your fruit. You're going to look at them as the evidence of your relationship with God. And here's the truth, here's the scary thing. You can be living an active Christian life you can even be leading in ministries and seeing great results while at the same time you're spiritually in the toilet. And that's why year after year we see pastors who are leading thriving ministries that are leading people to Christ and helping people walk deeper in their, in their faith with Jesus while at the same time they're living a complete double life on the side. That's why we can have songs that we sing in a church that are spirit and truth-filled and they might speak deeply to us and we come to find out the person who wrote it has walked away from their faith because they no longer believe in Christ. You can have community groups that are growing and thriving, people that are growing in discipleship while the community group leaders living in secret sin. And here's the truth. This can happen to any of us. None of us are above it. And some of you hearing this right now, deep down inside, you're thinking, that's me. That's where I'm at. And here's what you need to hear. Gifts without fruit are like a tire without air. They're gonna be able to carry you long for a while, but eventually they will collapse. And sometimes that's gonna happen right here in this life, or that's gonna happen when we get ready to enter into the next. They're going to collapse. It will never hold you up. And there's a message that Jesus has for us because this is all of us. If we're honest, we all do this. Jesus says something to us. Hear this in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, listen, listen to this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? What he means is that, one day we're gonna stand before God and many of us are gonna to try to offer up, but look at what I did with my gifts. Look at these all, th all these things that I tried to do for you. And here's what Jesus has to say. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because you know what? Our gifts could never earn our salvation. We could never work our way to salvation because God does not measure us by our works. He does not measure us by our spiritual gifts. What he measures us by is our spiritual fruits. And when we realize that, we come to see we will always fall short. And that's the bad news today, but here's the good news. You need to hear the gospel, every single one of us today, is that if we are in Christ, here's what happens. God doesn't look at our spiritual gifts and all the ways that we fail there. He doesn't look at our spiritual fruits and all the way we fall short because you know what? Jesus took those things from us and he went to the cross to die for those things. And in place of that, he gives us himself. No one lived out the spiritual gifts better than Jesus Christ. No one embodied spiritual fruit more fully than Jesus Christ. And when we have that given to us from God, when God looks at us, that's all he sees. And that is a beautiful thing to be able to understand. When you realize that God in Jesus Christ has done that for us, it's humbling. And it changes the way that you approach him. Because we can sing when we fully understand that. The words from the, the beautiful hymn, I will not boast in anything, not gifts, nor power, nor wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And when you come to that place, that place where you are wholly dependent on God alone, when you abide in that, that's when you are going to start to see the spiritual fruit in your life grow. That's the place we gotta come back to every day of our lives because that's where God grows that spiritual fruit. And when you have that, group, that fruit growing and thriving in your life, that's where spiritual gifts really start to matter. It's because we have the fruit to back it up. Now imagine if we as a church came to that place and that's where we abided. We are gonna be a light and a beacon to this world. We're gonna be a light and a beacon to the city because that's what it's all about. The spiritual gifts are just a means to an end. They're a means to the end of growing more and more spiritual fruit in our lives so that we, the church, look more like Christ to those around us. And the people are going to be drawn to that. And so here's your invitation today. If you are not a believer, I want you to forget everything I said after point one. Those are all just a cherry on top of point one. Because what God wants for you is you need the Holy Spirit in your life. You may not know this, but you were meant to experience life with God. And you need Emmanuel. You need God with us in your life. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you get. Because he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will live in you. He will work in you. He will change you and transform you. He will give you purpose and meaning in your life that you've never known before. And that's the invitation that God wants for you today is he wants that relationship with you. And if you're a Christian today, you have that gift already. And so let's stop grieving it and resisting it and quenching it, but saying, what would you want from me, Holy Spirit? Look at the gifts that you have and say, how can I use this to bless the people around me? How can I use them to help grow more spiritual fruit in the lives of my friends and my families and my coworkers? And when we start to do those things and stop comparing ourselves to other people but embrace who God has made us to be, that is when we become a people and a church that is beautiful. That's God's invitation for you today. What is your next step? Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for 
this passage, this beautiful message that you have for us because I personally need it today. God, I need to see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and the ways that he wants to use me. God, I pray for me and this whole church that we would be a people that don't come to you on the basis of our works or our spiritual gifts, but we come to you with a hunger to grow in the fruit that you have for us in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would start there. And God, as we grow in those things together, that we would recognize the gifts that we have, that we can build up this church and that we truly could be a light to the world around us. God, would you use this church, God, to to serve and love and care for the people around us, to build one another up, that we may be a light. And God, through this church, would you bring many people to saving faith in you? And so, God, we pray that you would help us see whatever our next step is, Lord. And God, we would not be afraid to take that today for your glory, because it's all about Jesus, Lord. God, we can't do this on our own, and so we thank you for what Christ has done, and it's all for him and for his glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.